Let me tell you about this amazing hotel booking app, Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight is an app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or indulging in a little staycation. All it takes is just 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So what are you waiting for? Get in on these killer last minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. And we're also brought to you by my bookie. People always ask me what team they should bet on. That is a big mistake because I do not have the answer most of the time. But where you're betting at is just as important. That's why I tell people to go to mybookie.ag. They have live in-game betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and a mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. Plus, if you join now, my bookie will match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Just visit mybookie.ag, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I.ag, and use the promo code RINGERNFL to activate the offer you play you win you get paid let's get into gm street welcome to gm street i am tate frazier and this is a part of the ringer podcast network and i'm sitting across from mike lombardi lombardi how you doing i'm good tate how are you i just heard about this earthquake you okay yeah i'm a little shook right now no pun intended uh, i was just telling you before we got on the air last night los angeles had an earthquake i'm from north carolina lombardi we don't deal with earthquakes we have hurricanes occasionally maybe a tornado every once in a while some hard rain some hailing i don't do earthquakes so tate i'm frazier i'm from new jersey we don't do earthquakes either <laughs> now we have flooding we have all sorts of other problems we have pollution we have everything but I didn't hear it. I mean, I'm not, I don't live that far from you. I didn't even hear it. Of course, I'm deaf in one ear, so it probably happened. And I, my it, dogs usually would bark if they heard it. It was, uh, I felt it. I, I woke up, I was dead asleep. You know, it was like 1130 at night. What it was, was it? It must have been Ben McAdoo calling <laughs> plays, created a, a seismic uh, sensation or something. I don't know. It had to be, it had to be related to that giant game. I, I, you know, I tell you what, if it would have been, that giant game would have been, if I would have been on the East Coast, I don't think I'd have made it to the end of that game. No. There's no need to. I mean, if you're if you're a true Giants fan, you don't want to watch that. You're going to go back, watch some Tom Coughlin tape from back in the day <laughs> yeah. and, you know, just reminisce about the good times uh, if you can. But should we talk about that let's, Monday night? Yeah, let's get out. Let's get let's, out. Let's get let's going on. The, let's go back to the format. Let's go. OK, and we're going to start off uh, with your Dallas Cowboys. We're going to do like what we did last week, a little Bill Walsh. You know, if we're all thinking alike, no one is thinking. And a lot of people are thinking the Dallas Cowboys, uh, they have this great offense, this great offensive line. Jason Garrett's a, a game manager as a coach. Oh, God, they have stop, Dak back stop, there. Stop, stop. Um, so we're obviously thinking wrong, Lombardi. What's going on with the Cowboys? Well, I, I think a couple factors. First of all, when they can't run the football, which they couldn't do, last year against the New York Giants. They struggled to run the ball in the first game against the Giants. Second game, they had a little bit of success, but they could, They can't really do it. Their skill level on the outside isn't really explosive. And I think this is Des Bryant. I think people have to start paying attention to stop thinking he's a star receiver and start facing the reality that, yeah, he's physical. Yeah, he's tough. Yeah, he can make great catches. And yes, he can jump ball to, to come down with it in the end zone. But can he separate? Can he create separation between him and the defender? No. And I think that's really the big problem of the Cowboys. It's not Elliott didn't go back and follow the receiver. I think it, the real issue is their skill level when they have to throw the football to win, to beat a good team, is it really great? So when you look at that Cowboys and you look at Des Bryant specifically, the height of, you know, 2012, 2014, the guy, the catch rate percentage he had is over 60%. 
That's pretty good. Right. I mean, that, that, that's that's elite level receivers. The past few years, it's been 50 or worse pretty much every single year. And this year is 39%. So we've sort of seen him. He's hitting that decline. He's getting on 28, going on 29. But the other guys that are around him, Cole Beasley, he's been, you know, kind of limping a little shook up. Uh, obviously, Terrence Williams didn't show much in that game. I mean, what do they do? How do they add an asset well, I mean, to the outside? Beasley, Beasley's really good. But when they play against Chris Harris in the slot against Denver, then it becomes a problem. I think. And then what, what they did with them with Tlaib, with Des Brian on Talib is you go up to you go up to Des and you pretend you're going to press, and he thinks that he has to convert a route, and then you back off, and now he's not sure what he's going to do, and now you get him thinking as opposed to playing, and he doesn't have that explosive speed down the field, and and you know I know my man Jason Garrett blamed Des uh, Dak Prescott for for not playing well, but when you study the tape and look at the game tape. There wasn't a lot of places to throw the football. And look, I think Jason Witten belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think he's a great player, but he's not the same separation quickness. He's easier to cover. He's going to run shorter routes. He's going to catch the ball. They have too many jump ball receivers, meaning they have too many guys that have to make plays covered to get to make a play in the passing game. And I think it puts a burden on Dak Prescott. I think they really need an expo- – if they had an explosive player on the outside – just somebody who could vertically take the top off the defense, that would really help them when they can't run the football. And we had Witten had that that drop touchdown pass, which was very uncharacteristic, but he comes back and gets a touchdown on the next drive. And then we get in the fourth quarter and everyone wants to call Dak the game manager, but the guy that's really managing the game is Jason Garrett. Yeah. And they have this fourth and three where they punt and Troy Aikman comes out and he says it's a good decision. And you went ballistic over this. I've and- gone ballistic the whole time. Like, I don't <laughs> even understand it. Like, I've been going ballistic. In the third quarter, he went for it. Like, to me, Jason Garrett has one job to do. That's to manage the game. Now, mm-hmm. I know he and Troy are best friends. So, look, uh, Troy's going to defend his buddy, and well, he should. I, I get that. But at some point, like, be honest about this. You're down by 18 points. You have, it's not how much time's left on the clock, it's how many possessions you think you can gain, right? And it isn't like you've, this is a this is a Parcellsism. Is are we watching the same game? I mean, his defense gave up thirty five points. Did you have any faith that his defense was going to stop him? At some point, you have to say, "Hey, we got to win the game here." I mean, I think in the Super Bowl, Belichick was backed up on his own yard line at twenty eight to three, and he went for it on fourth down. At some point, you have to win the game or try to get back in the game. And what I think you have to try to do, and this is what doesn't always resonate, is you have to make the game not be an onside kick game. That's what you want to avoid. When he went for it on fourth and three, you're saying we're we're not. If we get this, it's not an onside kick game. But if you punt there, you're basically telling me it's an onside kick game. And when I was a when I was in the league, I wanted the game to be an onside kick game because the chances of us getting the onside kick are pretty good. Mm-hmm. So if there's not enough possessions and you need an onside kick to get a possession back. I think I'm going to win. It's a little bit like in chess when you you have certain situations where you know the game's over, but you can't play it out. The onside kick game makes it really you're going to win the game. And I think Garrett did that. Look, everything I see with Garrett, he blames his quarterback. You know, it's like at some point, like when do you stand up and take responsibility besides clap? I mean, I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me what he does besides clap. You haven't been able to do it, Tate Frazier. Yeah, I've been trying to figure it out this whole time, but he he kind of just stands on the sideline. Even it's not even a one off thing when they were dead. Down 35 to 17. He has that fourth and it was fourth and three, fourth and goal. They could have kicked a field goal, make it a two possession game. They go for it and the game's over. I mean, they still had hope and it, it comes down to the possessions. He, he wasn't playing about points and possessions, right. which is he, strange. He wasn't putting it in. It's like, I, it drives me crazy during a game, okay? When, when, when they flash the clock and no matter how many times you have out, I always to divide six into the clock at the end of the game. So if you have... Tw- 25 seconds left to go in the game, six into 25, that's four. So probably you have four 
maybe five plays to run, assuming that you can get the ball out of bounds. So it's all about plays. It's not about how much time's on the clock. And if you manage the game that way, then you can. But again, when you want to make the game an onside kick game, you're doing me a favor. And I think that the, the, the Cowboys, they also have to become more creative on offense because when you don't have guys that can separate and get open, what do you typically have to do? You have to bunch the formation. You have to move things around. What happens with Dez? They don't want to move Dez around. They want Dez to play in one spot all the time because that's what Dez knows how to do. So they are hamstrung by their talent. And I think the more teams see that if they take away this running game, it's going to be harder and harder for Dak Prescott. Well, let's move on to another topic that a lot of people are thinking alike on, and that is the Detroit Lions yeah, defense. Last night, I know, I yeah. know. Go ahead, Tate. <laughs> the, Go main, ahead. the main guy that comes out is the Lions receiver, Marvin Jones. He says they made a huge statement talking about the Lions defense, like they're the number one defense in the league type statement. And that's Marvin Jones saying this. Obviously, this is going to get picked up by the media and a lot of Lions fans. So we don't want to give them any false pretense or promise. So can you tell me why that's not the case? Well, look, I think it was the perfect matchup. Uh, they got to play a team that had no tackles and they could rush the passer. That's what they can do. They rush with four. I think they're a good defense. I don't think they're a great defense. I think their, their corner situation slays very good. They're going to have to prove that they can cover when they, when they play against a team that can pass the football effectively. But you're not good when you play against a really bad team and hold them to 10 points. That doesn't make you a good defense, okay? Mm -hmm. And I think the Lions, when they play the Packers, it'll be a little bit of a challenge. I don't want to take anything away from Terrell Austin. I think they've done a really good job of game plan. Their defensive line plays hard. I like the Lions. I think they're an 8-8 eight eight team. I don't think they're a playoff team. I think they're an 8-8 eight eight type of team. I think the schedule will get harder for them. I admire what they did last night, but I don't think you can measure yourself against a really bad offense, which the New York Giants were last night. Ziggy Ons is one of those guys. I mean, we did our blue chip podcast. He wasn't a name that we brought up, but he has the skill and the ability. We remember at BYU, he has all the raw potential to be great. And he's showing signs, you know, two weeks in that he could be that guy. I mean, he's just been hurt. And Mm -hmm. so when he's healthy, he is a big time player and they have Nada in there. Mm -hmm. And then they have Cornelius Washington on the other side. I mean, they've got a good and they play hard. And their defensive line coaches them hard. And they've got more speed on defense. And they play sound. They play that Baltimore Ravens style of defense where they're going to try to take away the running game from you. And look, when you play the Giants, you don't have to take away the running game. I mean, now all you have to do is worry about slants because they have every slant known to mankind. And Beckham wasn't 100%. I just think you have to temper the Lions a little bit. This week, they play Atlanta. And if they play good against Atlanta this week, I'll be the first guy to tell you, hey, their defense is really rare, is really very effective. But I have a hard time thinking they're going to slow down Atlanta. I just want to say Matthew Stafford looks like a legitimate top five quarterback in the yeah. NFL. And right you know, now. I was busting on him about him his stats of running with Andy Dalton. I think that was a good win for Matthew Stafford. I thought he was commanding at the line of scrimmage. He got him in the right play. He made plays with his feet. Look, they're not. A, they're going to have a hard time winning games offensively, and it takes courage. You wouldn't do it. I mean, you ran away from that. You ran away from that earthquake last night. But you try to step, play behind if Greg Robinson's your left tackle. Mm-hmm. That takes real courage to get behind Greg Robinson. Okay, so I, 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 I give Matthew Stafford a lot of props for the courage. He looks like he's watched Aaron Rodgers play quarterback enough now where he knows how to keep his feet active. It's not that he has happy feet anymore. It's almost that he is he's bouncing around because he's on the balls of right. his feet because he knows he's going to have to move because he knows this line's not going to protect him. It's like he's given up that fact and now he's making plays on the run and he looks great. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's really, you know, the loose plays that he's making. I mean, Gruden talked about at the beginning of the broadcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't keep him in the pocket, I mean, that's the thing that I don't think people do a good enough job talking about. It during the week to play a great quarterback, it's really about how you rush them. The defensive coordinators in the NFL should spend more time about how to rush. They always let their D line coach to come up with the rush plan, mm-hmm. but the really good programs, 
the head coach, the defense coordinator, the rush plan to stop a quarterback is the most effective. And if you're playing the Detroit Lions and you want to stop Matthew Stafford, you don't want to get past the quarterback. The worst place to be in football is past the quarterback. It happened last night. He just steps up. He steps out on the touchdown throw to your boy from North Carolina, Ebron. I mean, that's what happened. They get past the quarterback. Have you ever seen the quarterback turn and run the other direction? No. That's the answer. I'll answer that. Unless it's Russell Wilson and he somehow runs all the way around around the quarter. But, I mean, when you don't keep him in the pocket and keep him in front of you and keep him in the paint, he's going to be effective. I think that's how you stop quarterbacks. And now let's get into our favorite segment. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. You insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. No, I didn't Sorry. insult him. I didn't insult him. him a little bit. Pay homage to good fellows. You know, we're going to do a little bit of insulting Lombardi. We're going to do this every week on, on our Wednesday podcast. Uh, so we're going to insult a few people a little bit. And then, uh, you know, maybe we're going to come full circle and say something nice eventually. We'll see about that. But first, let's do some insulting. All right. Well, it's this is this. I've been insulting him on Twitter for so long. My wife told me I have to stop picking on Ben McAdoo. So <laughs> this might be the last time I talk talk about Ben McAdoo, but at some point, like at some point you have to wonder, did the Giants realize they don't have any tackles? Mm-hmm. Like at, like if you were playing Madden, Tate, and you knew you couldn't block Anzu and you couldn't block Washington or you couldn't block Nada inside or Spence or whomever they were going against, wouldn't you say, maybe I should keep the backs in to protect and do this? Not my man, Ben McAdoo. <laughs> Not my man, Ben McAdoo. And there's, a, there's always... I remember this distinctly. Do you know who Charlie Munger is? No, I do not. All right. Charlie Munger is Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire Hathaway. They started together. They built this incredible company. And Munger's a brilliant man. He's over 90 years old. He lives in Los Angeles, still reads volumes of books every day. And he has this thing called uh, show for knowledge. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is show for knowledge is Max Planck was this German philosopher in physics or something like that. And he had a chauffeur that used to drive him around. And Max would go give speeches all the time. And the chauffeur said, you know, you I've listened to the speech so many times, I can give the same speech. Mm-hmm. So Max said, go ahead and do it. So Max went ahead and did the speech. And then somebody comes up and asks a question. And the chauffeur can't answer the question because he really doesn't know the information. He just has heard the information. It's a parrot. Yeah. Exactly. So it's the same thing. It, it's like knowing the name of something and really knowing something. And I think that's what the Bacadu does. He knows Green Bay's offense, okay? But he can't adjust Green Bay's offense. He has chauffeur knowledge of the Packer offense, okay? And so he runs the plays that the Packers run. Well, I was talking to a a head coach, a former head coach in the NFL last week, and he's like, that Packers protections, like those things are bad. Everybody knows that. You mm-hmm. can, but why do they succeed in Green Bay? Because you have a wizard at quarterback. You have Aaron Rodgers. Well, mm-hmm. you can't make Eli be Aaron Rodgers with your protections. And I think that's the problem. I mean, look, if you want to know any, there's the thing, you know what the Peter Principle is? We're going to have a whole leadership education here. Yeah, this is amazing. I'm learning so much. All right. Do you have a, you know what the Peter Principle is? No, please. The Peter Principle is when you get promoted to a certain level and then you peter out because you got promoted uh, too high. Okay. okay. So, all right, McAdoo, when he was the offensive coordinator, the New York Giants... 32 games. He had 12 games. They scored over 30 points when all he had to focus on was his one job, right? Now that he's been the head coach, guess how many 30 point games they've had? It's got to, it's got to be less than, I feel like I haven't watched a lot of them unless they snuck by me. So maybe less than 10, obviously. Zero. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So he's had no 30 point games when he was like, so to me, that's like the definition of the Peter principle right mm-hmm. there. I'm not picking on Ben. I'm insulting him because he would be better off. Ben, listen to this. You changed your game plan menu. You went away from the cheesecake. Now listen to this one. Here's my next recommendation for you. 
Turn the play calling over to somebody else. Watch the game. Take a step back. Become the offensive coordinator or let somebody else be the head coach, but you're not doing both jobs effectively. You're hurting your team by trying to do both jobs. Like he's staring at the playlist. Like I keep looking, like at some point, I, I tweeted this last night. They better take chains out to practice mm -hmm. because if they run one more route on fourth and two and they run a one-yard route, I'm going to go berserk. I mean, that's where you the head coach has got to take over. So I've insulted Ben. That's the last time I'm talking about Ben McAdoo. I got an idea. How about he just learns how to clap? He gives that playbook to someone else just like his boy Jason Garrett and just starts clapping. I would that's love the that. Formula. I, I think if he did that, it would be great. I think it would be awesome. But I, the reality of it is, is he's getting caught up in the fact that he is an offensive guru and there's no rue in his guru. There's no ruin his guru. I like that. Uh, next up, another 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 team. I guess it, it would be pointed to Sean Payton. He's going to be a guy that's next up that's going to get a little bit insulted, and he's, that comes to a September record. Sean Payton's one eleven September. Mm. I mean, even he would have to admit that he has to get insulted in that. I mean, he's one in eleven in the month of September, going back to two thousand and fourteen. And last night, like they they tweet they they talked about the Giants going zero and two. They have a ten percent chance of making the playoffs. I mean, this has been September's problem for New Orleans. So when it happens one year, okay, in fourteen they lose to Atlanta in, a, in, a, in an overtime game, and they lose to Cleveland on the road. They lose at Cleveland. Oh, so now they're zero and two. Okay, they come back and they beat Minnesota. There's their, and then they lose again to Dallas. So they're, they're one and three that year in 14. All right, then the next year in 15, they go to Arizona and lose. They lose at home to Tampa. And then they go to Carolina and they lose their 0 and 3 again. And then last year, they lose at home. They lose to the Giants. They lose to Atlanta and they lose to Minnesota. I mean, so like at some point, there's a pattern here. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, mm -hmm. it, and so for me, where I'm insulting Sean is when in 14, when you went a one and three, or what, yeah, you went one and three, you, the next 15, you had to change your whole mentality for September because we're doing something wrong. Right. We're doing something wrong. And then again, you do it in 15, then 16, you should change it. So to me, like this record in September is really destroying them. And I think that Sean, whatever the reasons are, they're just not playing good enough football in September. And he mentioned a sense of urgency. That was sort of the phrase that he used. He was like, these are grown men. They need to have a sense of urgency when they come out and play. I feel like a lot of people, the 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 story around the Saints, they win that Super Bowl, and then everyone kind of gave them a reprieve. You know, it's Breeze and Peyton. They're all offense. You know, they'll figure it out eventually. But now we're, you know, that was 2010. We're in 2017. I mean, how long is that leash for right. him? I think it's it, it's it, th this year if he doesn't get to the playoffs, I think that the the road is going to split, and whether he can get the Dallas Cowboy D uh, head coaching job, which is I think could become available if Jason doesn't win. I'm not saying it will, but it could. I mean, there's a lot of potentials. Maybe the Indianapolis Colt job, Coach uh, Andrew Luck. But the one thing I do know is is that when you watch his teams play, you know since. Bountygate, they just haven't been able to come back. They haven't been able to take over the game and handle the game. And you can blame it on their defense. You can blame it on their offense or their offensive line or all the substitutions. But the reality of it is, is they just don't play good enough football to, to win games in September. And, and I think it's really a problem for them. And as they move forward, how do you fix it? Everybody wants to talk about Adrian Peterson. Oh, Adrian Peterson is the least of their problems, mm -hmm. Tate. Like every team in the league wants Adrian Peterson on the field. Like at some point, can we stop covering the Adrian Peterson story? Yeah. Like every team in the league wants Adrian Peterson to be the Saints backfield. If you voted for every, if you put a secret straw out and said 31 defense coordinators, who should be the Saints running back? They would all say, put Peterson in the game. Why? Because they know that they know they can defend him. It's one dimensional. It's one dimensional. It's not a change of pace so like, at all. Why is that a story? Like, how is that a story? 
I think I think people would just live you, in the you, past. You're on my AP. millennial. Tate Frazier's my millennial uh, advice guy. You got to explain to me why is this a story? I think when they heard all day originally, they thought it was actually going to be all time where we're going to see Adrian Peterson forever. But he's at the he's petered off. He's petered off. He's at the end. He's at the end of his career. Yeah, like it's not done. the story. Like a stop. The story is they can't win in September. That should be the focus. And That's, Alvin Kamara is the best, probably the best running back they have right. on their team. And, right and now. that should be the focus of it. Everybody should be asking Sean, why can't you win in September? Not what's going on with you and Adrian Peterson. Can we get that changed? Let's do it. Let's All get right. it out there. Let's put it out to the world. Uh, we have one more. We have one more person that is up. We've talked a lot about game managing management today. And, yeah. uh, Another guy, another young coach, a 32-year-old, uh, Sean McVay, had some problems with that in this Rams game. Uh, what do we need to insult him about? Well, I mean, look, he's got to know who his team is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the most important thing is 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 most games, and I think if you watch closely, most games are decided in the final two minutes of both halves, okay? And what happens in those final four minutes of the two halves? So, the Redskins score, Hopkins kicks off, there's a touchback, okay, first and 10, they try to throw the football. Now, if you watch any Patriot tape, and they get the ball to start a drive, and there's more than, say there's more than over a minute, they're going to start the drive, especially if Washington has timeouts. They're going to start the drive with a run. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they want the clock moving. They're not worried about losing time. They're worried about making sure that the Redskins don't get the ball back to kick a field goal. So the Patriots typically will start with either a screen or some way to keep the clock moving. It's mental gymnastics. You get in their head where they're they're trying. They want the clock to run. They want the clock to yeah. run because they're not worried about 35 seconds. They think that, hey, we could score. But, you know, what do they do? He gets sacked. Okay, now Washington calls timeout. Next play, he's got to run it again. He, the Washington calls timeout. On third down... He goes back like he's going to try to convert the first down. Stop, Sean. Sean, your team isn't going to score a touchdown at this point, okay? You're going to get sacked. It's strip sack. They recover the football. Ryan Kerrigan. Ryan Kerrigan. They don't get the ball because they, uh, uh, I think, Haverstein or somebody. Sullivan, yeah. I think Sullivan jumped on it or whatever he did. But, I mean, there could have been a disaster there. Mm -hmm. And then they punt. Now, everybody says no harm, no foul. Well, I'm insulting Sean because – there was a harm. Like you got to learn from that sequence. You got to learn that. Hey, I have a young team. If I'm down at the half, all my goal when I got the ball back is to get this clock moving. And if I can't get it moving, then I I'm not gonna let them score on me. And he got a break on that one. And can we talk about? At, so that happens in the first half. That was a sequence in the first half. We get to the end of the game. The two minute warning is coming down. We're at like two oh seven. The clock's running. The clock's running. McVeigh's talking to two guys on the sideline, trying to see if he wants to take a timeout before the two minute warning, so he has that there for him. He goes to give the timeout, but the two-minute warning hits and they don't give it to him because he was too late. And then Goff comes out to run the offense in a two-minute drill. And, you know, this is the first time he's doing this down. They're down 27 to 20. And before they can even set up the stakes, he takes he drops back and throws a pass and it's a pick and the game's over. Yeah. And it's just like that. So it's like the first half, you know, it goes wrong. Maybe he learns a lesson. He figures it out at the end of the game, but it, it does the opposite. He does the exact same thing. I, I mean, more games are lost than they are won. I mean, I know that's cliche is to say, but I mean, clearly, and I think that they were fortunate that the Redskins didn't make them cost, make them pay for this mistake. But you're right. I mean, it, you never call timeout unless there's like you never want to call timeout under 206 for the opponent if they have to run a play because that allows them to run or pass. Mm-hmm. So you owe if it goes past 207 let let it go to the two minute warning. If it's before that, you do because you want to make sure they have to run the ball. Yep. That's why you call a timeout at two oh eight, and you're going to get the ball back, and it's third down. They got to run it now. Mm-hmm. Okay, they have to run it. They mm-hmm. can't throw it. So there's a lot to learn. That's why when you're 31 years old in the league, all these experiences, you got to cut them out every week. And when you watch a game on on Saturday afternoon, you got to play game management while you're doing it. Speaking of young guys, we're gonna do uh, we're gonna wrap up this Wednesday podcast. We're gonna do the same thing. We're we're basically doing the lottery 
type guys, type talents that are in college football right, right. now, guys that are going to translate uh, the best to the National Football League in your eyes. And uh, we're, let's start this thing off with the two quarterbacks that a lot of people, I mean, are hearing as, as potential guys. Not Sam Darnold, obviously we mentioned him last week, but the first name that comes up, maybe a name that's not as well known, Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State. Uh, he has looked like a guy that could obviously compete for the Heisman, but he also looks like a pro quarterback that can come in and make a difference. And he's breaking all Brandon Whedon's records, so you know he's going to be Ouch. a top quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Look, I, I watched Mason Rudolph last week. I thought he was really good. Like, I'm I'm going to ask you the question, Tate, since you, you're you kind of in touch with Why is Mason Rudolph not better than Josh Rosen? I think he is. And I, and I think last week actually illuminated that difference. I mean, Rosen goes to Memphis and they lose 48-45. It's a tough game. He had some bad interceptions, two bad he interceptions. He also had the ball back at the end of the game and he couldn't convert on fourth, fourth and down. Three. I mean, to me, that's the mark of it. Now, he led him back against Texas A&M. I'll give him that. But now Rudolph's playing. The only thing I will say about this is he's playing in a defenseless concert, a conference. And I like to see him play well against Oklahoma's defense. But he has done everything that I think that a quarterback shows in the shotgun formation. He throws it well. And then when you look at his history... I mean, he's one of the top players in South Carolina. He had offers from LSU. He's all over the country. Everybody wanted him. So he's got obviously top talent. And to me, he's played better and better as the year went on. And I think when you break down his numbers compared to Rosen when you go on the road, I mean, when you just look at these numbers trailing in the fourth quarter, he's really impressive. On third down, on third down in his NFL career, uh, in his college career, he averages over 9-1 per completion. And Rosen in third down? He averages just eight yards. So, I mean, when you're seeing the things he's doing, now is Rosen playing against better competition? Perhaps. Perhaps. I, I, college football is all about it. But I think when you look at it, you're saying to yourself, hey, this guy deserves to be in the conversation. He deserves more to be in the conversation than Josh Allen, in my mind. Josh Rosen. No, Josh Allen and oh, Josh oh, Rosen. Oh, yeah, 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 both of those guys. I mean, Rosen's the one that, you know, obviously a lot of people have heard the guy because of the chosen Rosen nickname, especially. We're, we're a little biased out here in Los Angeles, too. We hear a lot about UCLA and USC, and I think that's also why. I, there's a lot of people, like when I talk back home and I ask them about what quarterbacks are standing out to them, the two quarterbacks that they most people name are Baker Mayfield and uh, Mason well, who Rudolph. Who played really well this week, okay? Yeah. But I look at Baker Mayfield, and I'm thinking, does this guy have an NFL body to be able to hold on? No. I don't. Th- I mean, it, I don't it looks think so. like he looks like a backup player to me. Mm-hmm. He got great leadership skills. Probably be a great. Probably be coaching someday. He's like Case Keenum. That's what he kind of looked like to me. And I yeah. don't want to take anything away from him. I haven't studied him on tape, but he looks to me like. And, and I think they did a really good job in Oklahoma in terms of how they run their offense there. They have some unique plays, but for me, it's like. You know, does he have an NFL body? Can he really do this? And, and I just think that's that, that didn't come out. Well, that's the thing with Rudolph, too. I mean, you have that Oklahoma State Mike Gundy offense, which has always been high firepower. And then you have Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, who's the, sort of the same way. It's right. almost like an air raid type offense. Right. Actually, it is an and, air raid and offense. And they're playing in a conference that has no defense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, they, they don't hit. They have pads once a week there. They don't really pay defense. So I, I, to me, it's like I, I think Rudolph's a guy to follow. I think the one thing I will encourage people to do that listen to this podcast is whoever you think is in the top five, don't buy it right now because there's no way that top five has come close to it. There's going to be more names like Rudolph that are going to emerge. There's going to be other court, other be other players that if you focus just on the Rosens and the Darnolds, you're going to miss out on some guys that are really good players. Yeah, Rock Hill, South Carolina. They they're still putting out college uh, you know college what? prospects. Rock, Rock Hill, South Carolina. Gerald Dixon. We drafted in the third round from South Carolina when I was at the Cleveland Browns with Belichick. He's from Rock Hill too. Yeah. Gerald Dixon, good man. Yeah, Jadavion Clowney, also from Rock Hill, another good man. What's the, you know, this is, I'll give you my Al Davis story. (laughs) All right. So Al Davis is brilliant about, when you talk about high schools, Uh Al Davis was the best at this. I mean, it was just part of his genius that he was so good at doing it. So if you went to Rock Hill, what he would do is he would always tell me, 
to look up who the Rock Hill mascot is, mm-hmm. which I don't know what it is. Okay. I, I don't know it off the top of my head. Why don't you look it up while we have the computer uh, right there? I'll find it. All no right. doubt. I should know this. Rock Hill is very close to North Carolina. It's right. Uh... So anyway, he always was so well prepared whenever he met somebody. It was kind of really- Oh, a- the Binturong. I have no idea. Of, wow. That's like a- The Binturong? Binturong. That would have been hard to convince him how to do that. Yeah. What's it look like? It looks like a the Benteron. Yeah, oh, it looks like probably, a, it looks like a possum. Yeah, but that, he might have he might have avoided no that one. That might have been hard. But what he would have done <laughs> when he would have met, met say we'd have bring Mason Rudolph in. Uh-huh. Okay, he would have walked in the room. Now this is a you know when he walked in the room in that all white or all black mm-hmm. with the glasses and the hair slicked back. I, I mean, love it. It was intimidating, right? And I mean you had to have your A game on. And so these young kids they see this guy coming in there. And so what he would always do is oh there's Mason Rudolph, there's my guy. How's those Bitterongs doing? And the kid would immediately say, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He knows the name of my high school. He knows my nickname in my high school. Meanwhile, I'm the one who gave him the information. And literally, you know, or John Kingdon gave him the Somebody gave it to him. It was like he didn't know it off the top of his head. But it was remarkable. Then he would start reciting the kid's history mm-hmm. before. This is before you could Wikipedia everybody. Yeah. And then the kid's like, holy heck. I, I mean, this guy knows everything about me. And he captured every guy just like that. That that's my a, Al Davis story for the week. That's a beautiful story. That made me so happy. I just imagined Mason Rudolph and Al Davis in an all-white so suit. So when I see Mason yeah. Rudolph, I ask him, what the hell is a bit of wrong? What is it? <laughs> Only you people in North Carolina can. Like, if that was in Jersey, they would take away their license. Yeah. I mean, I'm just telling you right now. It's always weird with the mascots in North Carolina. You want like a bobcat? You, people, don't, yeah, you don't know if it exists. People are making fun yeah. of New Jersey. I mean, at least we have legitimate nicknames, you know? Oh, God. Well, New Jersey gave us Duke University in North Carolina, so we're trying to get rid of that as, as quickly as we can. Um, let's, <laughs> that's New Jersey U. They, they came down to interlopers, uh, came down to my state. The Duke family, I know. I uh, got it. I remember. Duke, I know my Jersey history. Yeah, the Duke Mafia. All right, Lombardi, before we move on, we got to get a word from our sponsor, MyBookie. Ever since I started this podcast, Being GM Street, people have been asking for advice. Usually it's what team to bet on this week. You got the Patriots or the Steelers, Chicago or Detroit. Well, let me tell you, where you're betting at is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I always tell people to go to mybookie.ag. MyBookie has been in this business for years, Lombardi, and their reputation is rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses, so off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing. And they have the fastest payouts. Seriously, just two business days. You already know who's going to win, right? So lay down some cash and win big today. I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they will pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and an all-new mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit with up to 100% bonus. Just visit mybookie.ag, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I.ag, and use the promo code RINGERNFL to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try my new favorite app, Draft. Love that Draft. It's weekly fantasy football, but not like the other guys. On Draft, you play real life snake drafts with other people, just like your in-season long league. Here's how it works. It's a draft that lasts for one week. There's no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waivers, no GM. Draft takes care of everything. Last minute injuries. Draft starts every couple Couple minutes so you can join one right now and the best part play for cold hard cash homie draft starts from a dollar so there's draft for everyone no salary caps play real live snake draft just like you play with your friends all season long come join me on draft today download the app anytime just search draft in the app store or go to playdraft.com and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer for a limited time only all new players get free entry into draft 
when you make your first deposit, but then you use promo code the ringer, the ringer, that's right, play a real money game for free, just using my promo code the ringer for your first deposit on draft. Just search draft in the app store or go to playdraft.com and come play free with the promo code the ringer. And we are also brought to you by DaVinci. In today's digital business world, the face to face meeting still matters, but you can skip the noisy coffee shops and expensive hotel conference room and simply book a DaVinci meeting room. DaVinci provides you instant access to over 5,000 incredibly affordable meeting rooms and well-known office locations in every city. Whether you need a day office or a conference room, a boardroom, or a training space, DaVinci has what you need to make your next business meeting a success. Best of all, DaVinci meeting rooms start at just $10 an hour. Entrepreneurs, startups, and Fortune 500 companies all enhance their images with professional meeting spaces from DaVinci. Book your space now at davincimeeting.com slash NFL, and the first hour is on them. That's right. That's free. That's on them. That's davincimeeting.com slash NFL. Where are you holding your next meeting, Lombardi? Let's wrap this thing up with a word on the street. We're just going to talk about some little rumblings and rumors around the league, some things that could possibly happen. And let's talk about the trade block, some guys that could be out there for potential trades. One of them that come up, we were looking at the Bengals backfield. They have kind of... A lot of guys, and that need right. a lot of touches. When you have Jeremy Hill, who's basically the starter, Gio Bernard, who's the number two guy, and then they have this young guy, uh, Mixon, who just came in yeah. uh, in the draft, obviously. So one of those guys is probably the odd man out, and it's probably the guy on a contract here, Jeremy Hill. I mean, to me, if I'm the New York Giants, again, if I'm the New York Giants, I'm not going to be able to fix my offensive line. Mm-hmm. But if I got a big back, a 235-pound back, I think the Giants have to take a little bit of the Baltimore approach and try to be more physical and try to run the ball more effectively. I think they've run the ball less the New York Giants have run the ball less mm-hmm. than the Chargers or Miami, who've only played one game, and they've oh. played two. Okay, so I think we have to reduce to help our defense out a little bit. I would call and see if Jeremy Hill's available because I think he would really help them. Seattle, I would do the same thing. I don't think Eddie Lacy has any quickness to get back and run the outside zone play. I think Eddie Lacy's a downhill point of entry back. I don't think he could do that, but I think Jeremy Hill would help Seattle if he was out there. I don't know if Seattle wants to do that. They like their young rookie. But if I'm the Giants, the best way to help Eli Manning get a big-time running back in there, it ain't Paul Perkins, I would call and see if they could trade him. Well, let's even talk about the team that they're playing, the Eagles, this week. They're also a team that's struggling to find a run game. Obviously, Doug Peterson. Well, they don't even call runs, Yeah, though. yeah, it's like an 80 to 40. You know, it's basically yeah, like two call to one runs. difference. Like, like, to me, like this is where I have the biggest problem with coaches today is because is they're all play callers. When you get ready to play Kansas City, you have to sit there and say, okay, what are the five things we have to do to win the game? And one of them is we can't make it a 50-pass game, mm-hmm. okay? Because if we try to throw the ball 50 times in Kansas City with Houston coming off the corner and D Ford coming off the other corner, Corner and that the crowd noise, it's not going to work. Yeah. Okay, it's just not going to work. So we got to find a way to mix in enough runs and keep them off balance. Now, I'm not saying establish the run. I'm saying mix in runs. There's a big difference, but they don't. And I think Philly could use them too. But and the Bengals, like, why wouldn't you? If you could get a decent pick for them, you're going to lose them in a compensatory pick anyway. You might as well take the pick right now. And who? What do you get back for that? What's the return? You just want that? You want well, a pick, or do you want a player? If you're I, the Bengals, I would, I would think if I'm the Bengals, I would take the pick. They know they're going to get a compensatory pick. They know they're going to probably get a low three. So if you could get them a four, or or maybe even trade a three for them, because even if you have them and you don't re-sign them, you'll get the three back. Mm-hmm. So why not take it now? I, I would I would call to see if Mike Brown moved because they need to make. Because I will say this to you, I was against dra- Joe Mixon. I would not have drafted Joe Mixon, but Joe Mixon's a great running back, and they need to play Joe Mixon. 
Got it. Um, I have Thursday night football is coming up. The Rams, 49ers. Um, I just have to. What is the one thing that will be exciting to you in that in that football game that I can look to to watch? Because right now I'm a little shook. I know the I know the Rams are basically owned by the 49ers. I think they're 0 and 3 against them the past three times. I, I think watch this it. 49er team. I think the 49ers are 0 and 2. They played really good last week. They couldn't throw the ball against Seattle. 14 yards. Brian Hoyer was the longest pass. I think you look at this San Francisco team and pitcher Kirk Cousins running it because mm-hmm. that's probably what's going to happen as we look down the road. And I think this is a team that's got a chance to become better. They played really hard last week. I think San Francisco will play their best game Thursday night. Well, get ready for that future West Coast. Jared Goff against Kirk Cousins in primetime matchups on Thursday night. That's going to be a lot of fun. Sounds good to me, Tate. All right. Well, this has been another edition of GM Street. Thank you, Lombardi. Thanks, Tate Frazier. And we will be back Sunday night to wrap up all the games from week three. Thanks for listening to GM Street on the Ringer Podcast Network. Things change, the weather changes, your mood definitely changes, so why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to, because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels, even at the last minute. Booking a hotel tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find seriously amazing deals now. All right, great.